Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living, a show where we talk to experts who've taken a wild idea and made it a reality so you can too. From people who have sailed around the world to those who've started thriving businesses and even broken records, some of the wildest ideas can lead to the most rewarding adventures. I'm your host, Shelby Stanger, and I hope you enjoy this show. This is episode 54 with Olympic snowboarder and author, Kelly Clark. This episode was brought to you by my favorite snowboard brand ever, Burton. Founded in 1977 by Jake Burton Carpenter out of his Vermont barn, Burton's become pretty much the best snowboard brand ever. They've also played a pivotal role in growing the sport from a backyard hobby to a world-class activity by creating groundbreaking products, supporting an amazing team with people like Sean White and Kelly Clark, and pushing resorts to allow snowboarding at a time when it was banned. Today, Burton designs and manufactures amazing products for the sport and lifestyle. They have snowboards, boots, bindings, outerwear, layering apparel, as well as year-round apparel, bags, backpacks, and accessories. The best part, the company is still privately held. They're owned by Jake and his wife, Donna Carpenter, who's the CEO of the company and a total badass. They're still located in Vermont out of Burlington, and they also have offices in Austria, Japan, Australia, Canada, and China. To get your latest gear and learn more about this epic company, Go to Burton.com. That's B-U-R-T-O-N.com. You can also follow Burton on social media. Kelly Clark is easily the winningest snowboarder in halfpipe history with about 70 wins in competition. She's had 10 X Games medals, nine of them gold. She's a four-time Winter Olympian with an Olympic gold in Salt Lake, and she's going for her fifth Olympics next year. She's also one of my favorite snowboarders of all time with incredible style. We get right into the awkward, talking about healing your body, the unglamorous sides of being an Olympic athlete, and then we dive into some really juicy stuff like endorphins, faith, success, the Olympics, and so much more. I love this show. Enjoy it. All right, we have on Kelly Clark. Welcome to Wild Ideas Worth Living. So excited to have you. Yeah, thanks for having me on the show today. Where are you at right now? Uh, I am at my home in Folsom, California, and you have enjoying a-, a little bit of downtime before the season really gets going. So we had to start a little late because maybe you can just tell everyone what happened. This is so interesting to me. <laughs> yeah, we had to push the call back this morning. Um, I got randomly drug tested this morning, and that's um, part of the less glamorous part of our jobs. Um, to be eligible for the Olympic Games, we have to be um, on a random drug testing list, which means we update our whereabouts and they can come find us kind of wherever and um, do a drug test. And that happened this morning, a random knock on my door, and I kind of know the drill at this point. That's so interesting. It's not like you've just won the sweepstakes. It's like, hey, you get to knock, knock. You get to, it's not even Amazon delivering a package. It's like you get to go. Yeah, not not a fun not a fun knock to get um <clears throat> but you know it's 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 part of it and it, it does keep our sport our our playing field kind of leveled um you know everybody's kind of starting in the same place nobody's got any uh advantages so you know just kind of when you sign up to be a pro snowboarder or a pro athlete for that matter that's just kind of part of it well that's cool well i 
I actually, I've always followed your career, but but really, it's always in my face whenever I go to B Project in Carlsbad. Uh, the physical therapist Brad Jones said he used to work with you in your pictures, like on the ceiling. So when you're lying on on like the massage table, you're you're kind of looking up at Kelly. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, or the Brad, Brad's awesome. He used to he used to travel with us forever. Um, he's a great, talented, amazing physical therapist and great conditioning coach. He's uh, awesome. I love that his his uh, business has been growing so much over the last few years. Oh, it's awesome. So I want to talk about, you know, your your body first, because you are this, um, that sounds a little awkward, but I like to get awkward, I guess, on this podcast. So <laughs> you recently, last March, had this serious hip surgery, and I read the fixes, and maybe correct me if I'm wrong, but it says, repaired the labrum, the cartilage around the hip socket that holds the leg, and then you reattach part of the hamstring tendon that torn away from the bone. So I'm really curious, you know, you were out for what, 11 months or so. How did you recover and, and maybe just take us back and then what got you through it? Um, I mean, injuries are, are one of the most difficult parts. One of the, Injuries are one of the most difficult parts of being a professional athlete. They s- seem seemingly out of your control um, and you're kind of forced with just a simple uh uh, program to just get better. And, and I've been a professional snowboarder for around 18, um, upwards of 20 years now. Um, and this was honestly one of my first major, major injuries that I've had to recover from. And it was a little bit of everything. Uh, it was a little bit of genetics, a little bit of overuse and a bit of a trauma injury. So once I, um, took that initial fall that really damaged the hamstring. And when we got the imaging, we saw what kind of shape my, my hip was in. Um, and the end of my femur had flat spots in it that was tearing the cartilage. Um, as I used my hip a lot, being a snowboarder, um, ended up, uh, having kind of severe damage in the cartilage that keeps the the hip socket in the, the femur in the joint itself. And then the hamstring damage and everything else. So I had to get it repaired in March of 2015. Um, and that was the longest time I've ever had off snow, uh, my entire snowboard career. So it was a really, really difficult recovery. Uh, I was, because I didn't have a hip replacement, I kind of like to say that it's, um, it's like refurbished. I definitely got my hip refurbished and because I kept all of my own, uh, body parts in my hip, the restrictions post-surgery were really, um, they were just a lot. I couldn't sit at 90 degrees for uh, almost four weeks. Um, anytime that I wasn't on the bike um, or in physical therapy, my feet had to be tied together because any external rotation from my foot would, would damage the repairs in the soft tissue that they did. So the restrictions were pretty intense. Um, it was definitely a low point in my career, low point in my life. Um, and I just really had to trust the people around me that they, they said I would recover. They said I would get better. But I was I was bedridden for the first month post-surgery, wow. um, completely codependent on other people around me. My brother and my my friends who were taking care of me, they were, said that I was like a, a giant puppy, you know, like no water passed. 8 p.m. so I didn't have to wake everybody up so they could take me to the bathroom in the middle of the night. That's kind of where I was at. Wow. I mean, even if I go, if I get injured just just if I, my, my knee starts hurting when I can't run and I'm out for a week, I start going nuts. Or if I can't surf because I hurt my shoulder, 
mentally, it's it's usually more hard than physically. It sounds like there were some physical limitations that were pretty serious, but how, how did you get through the mental part of it? I'm always curious to know how, especially elite athletes like you, the most winning snowboarder pretty much ever, men or women, how, how did you, what did you say to yourself? Like, what was your self-talk? Um, I mean, it was tough. It, it was a, a really, <clears throat> when I say low point, it was a real low point for me mentally. And I mean, physically it was difficult, but I, I'm used to physical difficulties. Um, but the, I, I really learned that, um, endorphins were a real thing and they were a big part of my makeup, you know, like that's, that was how my, um, my days were really balanced out. I'm so used to being active. I'm so used to those natural endorphins kind of helping set my mood for the day. And all of a sudden I, I just, I wasn't happy all day, every day. Like I normally am. I wasn't doing the level of activity that I needed to, to really sustain those, those endorphins. And I was depressed and I just really struggled with it. Um, not to mention you're in pain and all the other stuff that goes along with it. Um, that stuff I can deal with, but the, the mental side of things was, was tough. And uh, I guess I just had to trust the people around me. That was how I got through it. My doctors, my physical therapists, my trainers, uh, my friends, you know, people simply told me I was going to get better. I was going to recover. Things weren't always going to be like this. And I just had to trust them. Um, you know, I'm a, I'm an achiever. I'm a hard worker. I'm an athlete. I'm, I'm a goal setter. So I could set goals in physical therapy, but I really just wasn't an unfamiliar spot. And I just had to trust the people around me that, that I would recover, that I would get better, that I, I wouldn't only be able to, you know, get out of bed, um, again by myself, but I'd be able to snowboard. And, and I guess it caused me to really redefine what success looks like. For me, you know, the week before surgery, I was um, at the U.S. Open and, and, you know, success for me that week looked like getting on the podium. And all of a sudden the next week, I, I, I couldn't stand up by myself. And so success, you know, looked a lot different. And I had to change the way that I measured success. You know, for me, success was maybe being able to, to take a shower, you know, uh, getting uh, to use the restroom by myself, you know, those sort of things became the high marks of my day, no longer standing on the podium. It was simply, you know, maybe walking a little bit better, not having as much pain, um, getting a little bit more flexion in different areas as I rehabbed. So I'm really curious, you know, what, where are you at right now and how long ago is surgery from today? Um, surgery was in March of 2015. Um, so I'm about a year and a half roughly out of surgery. And they say you, you kind of fully recover from that type of surgery after about two years. Um, but this last season I started competing again. I started competing in um, January. So that was about nine, 10 months after surgery. Um, I started my first contest and I would say I got back to a hundred percent in February. So about 11 months until I really felt like myself on my snowboard and, you know, the rehab and the work that I did and all the, all the fitness stuff and all the training and everything and all the, the post snowboarding physical therapy sessions every day on the road, you know, I got to a point this last spring where, you know, working on my hip after a day of snowboarding was just kind of what my physical therapist and I did. We're like, okay, let's treat the hip today. Let's stretch it. Let's, let's get it moving. Let's do all the damage control we need to do. 
And I honestly, this spring, we got to a point where out of, out of habit, we would go to do some physical therapy on my hip after snowboarding. And we were like, well, it doesn't actually need it today. Wow. I don't actually need it. And so um, I've honestly gotten to the point where I don't think about it much anymore, which is so hard to believe based off of where I was. You just think, you know, you're never going to get better or things are always going to be like this. And I honestly don't think about it. People come up to me now and they're like, Hey, how are you feeling? And I'm like, well, I feel okay. Why? You know, they're like, how's your hip? And I'm like, Oh, my hip. You know, like I, I honestly don't think about it much anymore. It's just amazing how far I've come. And I started, uh, I started winning contests last year. I won the Olympic test event in Korea last season. I won the mammoth grand prix. Um, I'm honestly back to where I need to be. And I think I, I didn't realize how much pain I was in and, and how debilitating my hip was. And I, I kind of thought I was just getting old. You know, people <laughs> will, will tell you like, well, you are 33 year old snowboarder, 34 year old professional snowboarder. You know, this is, this is kind of what it's like. And I was kind of like subscribing to that. And now my hip is fixed and I honestly feel better than I felt in years. And I wasn't, just getting old, I was actually injured. I'm happy to say I'm fully recovered. Awesome. Um, and and I'm I'm not only going to continue to have a successful snowboarding career, but I'm going to have a successful and good quality of life when I retire from snowboarding someday as well. So what's like one of those tests? Can you share one of them? Um, yeah, I mean, it's kind of basic conditioning stuff. Uh, you know, snowboarding is a really interesting sport because like many action sports, uh, you know, if you, if you call it a sport, some people even cringe, you know, there's such a lifestyle and a culture that goes along with, with any sort of action sport. And, and snowboarding is definitely one of those where it's, it's been in this transition where it's, it's really gone from, you know, being this lifestyle and this culture to becoming an Olympic sport, to, to becoming a, a sport at all. Um, and so, you know, when I started working um, with the U.S. team and, and my current conditioning coach, it was like, all right, we're going to get you ready for snowboarding, but we don't really know how to get you ready for snowboarding. There's no data. We don't know how to train snowboarding athletes. You know, we know how to train baseball players and football players and even ski racers, but we don't even know what kind of muscle groups we should be focusing on. And so I kind of started that journey in 2010 um, with them where we just started developing me as an athlete. Um, and I just started investing in that part of my career actually in 2010, when I, we first did some of the tests, um, you know, which is like force plate testing, body comps, kind of like a symmetry check to see, Got it. you know, if you have a dominant left or right leg, different mobility or um, lack of mobility. Um, and then uh, a VO2, you know, cardio lactic acid test, stuff like that uh, are some of the tests that we do. And, and when I first started doing this, I asked, you know, after my first time getting tested, I asked what my test results meant. And they said, wow, you're, you're, you're really mentally strong. And I said, what? And they said, yeah, it's amazing. You've been to uh, three Olympics now and you have two medals and you have like next to no athletic ability. And I'm like, what? I just almost and, spit out my teeth. That's, that's, <laughs> Sorry, that's, that's funny. telling someone like, like you have a nice personality or you have inner beauty, you know, and that's basically what they told me. And wow. I could have been super offended or I could have just thought, you know, this is a huge area for me to invest in my snowboarding career. And rather than be offended, I just looked at it as an opportunity. And I said, all right, I'll give you four years. Um, you know, I'll, I'll work and I'll train and, and we'll try and develop what it looks like to, to train a snowboarder. 
And as I did that, um, I entered into the four most consistent years of my snowboarding career where I won, you know, 86% of the contests I entered during that four-year stretch from 2010 to 2014. And, and I was the only person on the U.S. team not to have an injury that required surgery during that time frame. So, you know, the durability and the sustained success that I experienced from investing in the fitness side of things was, was just um, plain to see. Uh, and I think that's definitely contributed to my long career, to my consistent career. You know, snowboarding is a, is a technique-based sport. Um, you know, the strongest athlete isn't necessarily going to win the snowboarding contest, but the strongest athlete is not going to get hurt and they're going to have um, success, you know, sustained over a long period of time. And, and I've developed, continue to develop my technique and everything that I need to, but at the same time, I've just invested in the fitness side of things. And it's helped me recover from this hip surgery um, and be the strongest I've been at 34 years old. I would love to know what a typical training day is like for you now. Every week uh, kind of changes based off my schedule and, and where I'm at in kind of my strength cycle. But it, it consists of two strength days, uh, two agility days, and those days all have kind of core and mobility mixed in. Um, and then I have uh, one long cardio day and two short cardio days. And so I have two days off a week, and some of those sessions kind of double up on each other. Uh, it ends up being, you know, some days I have two sessions a day. Um, and it's not like I'm working out to get huge. I'm working out to get strong, be durable. Um, and for me, I, I just don't want to be limited physically. I, I want to, I don't want to be standing at the half by being like, wow, I wish I was stronger. I wish I could do this. I wish, you know, I had prepared better. And that's something that, um, that I've learned, you know, through, even through my Olympic experience, you know, there's, there's a big difference between being prepared and, and having potential. Um, and I always want to be within my, within my ability. I don't want to have to land the run of my life to make the podium. I want to have a really high standard. I want to, I want to, um, you know, not do tricks because it's an Olympic year or an X games final. I want to do it because I want to, not because I have to. And I think, um, that kind of approach is, is, is kind of led me to prepare more <clears throat> than other people and spend more time on the front end making sure my snowboarding is where it needs to be because when you're when you're at the edge of your ability level it's not fun and snowboarding should be fun and you never I mean I never want to be in a spot where I'm at a contest feeling like I have to do a trick um that if that was how it was for me I would have stopped snowboarding a long time ago you know I want snowboarding to be enjoyable and for it to be enjoyable I've got to prepare and if I if I get ready um well enough I can hit my potential and enjoy myself. If if I didn't enjoy what I did, you know, I, I wouldn't still be competing after 18 years. It's, it's, uh, it's important, you know, not every day is fun, but every day should be enjoyable. Yeah. I love that. Um, and I think that's a really good message for life too. So how many hours a day are you training? Um, you know, right now heading into the season, I would say two or three, um, depending on, what my days look like. Um, if I have a long cardio day, that'll up to like four or five. If I'm out on my bike, on my road bike for a long time, because um, that alone could be two or three hours. And you're training um, in Mammoth or? Um, I'm training in Folsom, California okay. right now. That's um, I have a home in Mammoth and that's my home hill. I lived there for 12 years and 
Um, I moved up to Sacramento a few years ago because um, I realized I was just traveling so much that it didn't really matter where I lived. And I, I had a better community in Sacramento. Um, and it just kind of made more sense for me. And I've actually really enjoyed it. Is that where you're from or why Sacramento? I actually moved up here, uh, let's see, almost three years ago now. And I guess in Mammoth, a lot of my friends had moved moved away, gotten real jobs, grown up, oh. started families, <laughs> all the things that I have yet to do. Um, I'm still doing what I did in high school uh, <laughs> for a job. And uh, I just realized that I just didn't have the crew that I, that I had. And so I had a lot of friends who um, were moving up to Sacramento, um, to Folsom, to plant a church. I had done um, speaking events with this Christian youth organization since 2008 called Jesus Culture. And they were planning a church in Sacramento, and I, all my friends were, were moving here. And it just kind of seemed like, well, that could be a, a fun group of people to do life with. Um, and it's kind of seems a little funny, like you're moving away from the mountains and you're a professional snowboarder. Like that definitely seems kind of counterintuitive. Don't really doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, and I've actually found that it's kind of sustained my career in a really healthy way. You know, I'm able to kind of grow and develop as a person beyond just snowboarding, and it's made my snowboarding that much better and that much more enjoyable. Um, I think once you get kind of, there's a lot of areas in your life that need to be healthy besides just the craft that you're working on. And that's the community that you're with and the people you do life with is a big part of that. And so, you know, that's, I'm probably healthier, um, in community and spiritually, uh, than I've been in a while. And so for me, that was just a big part of it. That was just one of the puzzle pieces that needed to be taken care of. And I found, you know, my snowboarding is that much better because of it, even though, you know, for the first time in my life, I lived somewhere where there's stores. I've never lived anywhere where there's stores before. I've lived in mountain towns, you know, so it's definitely been different, but it's definitely been the right, the right move for me at this point in my career. I want to talk about this. You know, a lot of the athletes I interview have this really strong spiritual side. And I'm a little envious because I didn't really grow up with religion or much of anything. A little yoga yeah. and some some fun events, bar mitzvahs and weddings. Have you always been pretty spiritual? Is this something you got into later in life? Like, can you talk about it? Um, yeah, you know, I, um, I became a Christian when I was 20 years old. Um, and before that I had never, ever even been to a church before. Um, I didn't grow up with any sort of kind of spiritual background whatsoever. And, um, for me, you know, I, I just had an idea that when you're successful, it goes hand in hand with being fulfilled. Um, and I, I won the X games, I won the U S open and I won the Olympics all by the time I was 18 years old, I had kind of, you know, reached the pinnacle of snowboarding and everything I ever set out to do. I had accomplished by the time I was 18 and I just didn't find that fulfillment that I was looking for. I think no matter who you are, what you do, I think, you know, our greatest human need isn't, isn't to be successful. It's to be significant. And that's mm -hmm. really what I was looking for in my snowboarding. I wanted to be significant. I wanted to matter. I wanted to have purpose. I wanted to be fulfilled. 
and I had done it and I just didn't find it at the top. I didn't find that sense of purpose that I was looking for. Looking back now, I can see that, you know, in the process when I was a kid, I, I didn't, I didn't think I was looking for something. And after I won the Olympics, I honestly was, was living the dream. It was anything anybody had ever hoped to do. Um, you know, I had all the things that go along with winning an Olympic gold medal, all the, the finances and the popularity and all that stuff. Um, and I was just kind of going through the motions, though. I was still snowboarding, but I was honestly getting more and more depressed as the years went on. And I remember I was starting starting a contest, my contest season in 2004, and I was I was depressed would be the, the best way to say it. Um, I felt kind of hollow. I, I didn't feel like, I mean, as a kid, you want to, you want to develop your identity. You want to figure out who you are when you're a teenager. And the only way that I knew myself was as a professional snowboarder. And the only way anybody ever knew me was as a professional snowboarder. And so snowboarding became this thing that, that I clung to, that I had to do to prove to people, to continue to prove to people in the world of, of performance competitive sports we're out there proving ourselves every weekend you know and I had to prove to people who I was through snowboarding and what I had accomplished wasn't enough I had to continue to go out there and do it all the time and I just I didn't feel like it mattered anymore and as I started that competition year I remember writing in my journal that morning you know I don't I don't care if I wake up tomorrow and I don't think anybody else cares that's Mm. that's just that's where I was at that was my reality and and I went out and I qualified for finals. You know, snowboarding is still going well. And I remember I was sitting at the bottom of the half pipe that day and someone had come down and, and a girl I was competing against and they had fallen twice. They didn't make finals and they were crying. You know, when someone's like crying, you're kind of half listening to their conversation, <laughs> pretending you're not. But, you know, I'm overhearing this conversation these girls are having at the bottom of the half pipe. And her friend tried to get her to laugh the girl who was crying and, and she said, Hey, it's all right. God still loves you. And to be honest, there was something about that phrase that stirred something in me that I just couldn't ignore. Um, and I had never thought about God before ever a day in my life. I had never wondered why I was here. Um, you know, I just didn't have a place or anything like that. And something about that comment made me wonder, you know, if, if God loved her, maybe God loved me, you know? And so that started a journey for me. I actually found that girl was staying in my hotel. I knocked on her door and, and here I am, you know, the, the current Olympic gold medalist. And, um, you know, the person who's at the top of the sport of snowboarding at the time. And I knock on her door and I say, Hey, my name's Kelly. I think you might be a Christian. And I think you need to tell me about God. Wow. And, uh, she was a bit taken back, as you could ex- expect, if someone knocked on your door and did that. Yep. Um, obviously, she knew who I was, and she said, yeah, sure, I could have talked to you. And so it was cool. You know, I, I just had an idea that that being a Christian was about being good and following a bunch of rules and going to church and all this stuff. And she said, hey, you know what? It's about having a relationship with God. It's not about being religious or following rules. And that just kind of started me on this journey of, of asking God who he was and trying to get my head around what it would look like to, to have a relationship with God and, and have purpose beyond that and be significant. And, you know, I'm as, you know, a lot of action sports athletes 
as the more you talk to them, I think the more you find out that we're not necessarily risk takers, we're calculated risk takers. And I don't, you know, I don't jump into things without kind of knowing a little bit more of what they're about. So I spent the next five months kind of on this journey, just trying to figure out, you know, who God was and if I wanted to, to have him as part of my life. And so after about five months, I, someone was actually asking me like, had you, you know, do you, are you saved? And I'm like, I have no idea what that even means. You know, like <laughs> I, I didn't know anything. I was like, I don't know, maybe. And I just started this journey of, of figuring out who I was apart from what I did. That's, that's what it was for me. Yeah. Um, and I, I found freedom like I never knew existed. I found purpose like I never knew existed. And I found joy and happiness and hope and all these things that I was looking for forever I found in this one moment and uh snowboarding at the time had just become something that I had to do and all of a sudden once I figured out who I was apart from it it was something I got to do and I got to take more risk than I ever thought I could because my identity and my purpose and who I was wasn't wrapped up in what place I placed in the snowboard contest and honestly my faith in in that whole story that I just kind of told you was really has been the backbone and the foundation of my career and allowed me to be the athlete that I am because it's, it's just given me that foundation and that, that identity is really what I needed um, to really excel and push myself beyond what I thought I was capable of for as long as I have. Um, Because at the end of the day, you know, I'm not, I'm not defined by what I do and even, um, you know, heading into this next Olympics, I'm trying to make my fifth Winter Olympic team and no woman from any sport has ever made five Winter Olympic teams from the U.S. So it would be a, a huge, a huge accomplishment. Um, and, you know, one thing I've just learned about the Olympics is you shouldn't treat them as a destination. Um, you know, they're simply a, a wonderful part of my snowboarding career, not something that defines me. You know, I, I look at it as something I get to do, not something I have to do. Kelly, you've just dropped so many nuggets of wisdom. Thank you. I I usually don't shut up this long. So, I mean, you've captivated me. So, you know, I think one of the biggest things you said is, is I'm technically Jewish and I just really related to this part where you said, you know, you've tried to figure out what you learn through spirituality is who you are apart from what you do and loving that part of you, regardless of what you do. I mean, that's game changing. That's the biggest thing I've learned, like, if I could tell other athletes, I would just really encourage them, like figure out who you are apart from what you do, because you can waste so much time and energy and years <laughs> just, you know, going through the motions and, and really figuring out what motivates you. So I want to talk about this Olympics because your first Olympics, you were 18. I mean, that's that's how, almost half cup. your life away. Yeah. So I really want to know one, you know, what does this Olympics mean to you? But also what's your relationship with snowboarding today? Like what's it feel like on the hill today? And how has that differed a little bit from when you were 18? I guess I'm a lot, I'm a lot more thankful than I used to be. Um, maybe growing up in age gives you that appreciation that you didn't have when you were, when you were younger. But, you know, heading into this Olympics, I guess even wrapping up my last Olympics um, in in Russia, you know, before you even get out of your boots that night, people are always seem to be asking, you know, so are you are you retiring? Are you done? Are you are you finally finished? And, 
And that was a big question that I got finishing, finishing up the Sochi Olympics um, in 2014. And, and it caused me to really ask myself, you know, like, what is next and why am I still here and what do I want to accomplish? You know, like the more times I got asked it, um, the more it caused me to really examine, you know, what, how I really did feel about snowboarding and about competition and about my future. And I really came to the conclusion that I hadn't hit my potential. I've had great success in my snowboarding career. I've had one of the best snowboarding careers anyone could ever hope to have. And it's been one of the great privileges of my life to, to work with such amazing companies, to be part of such an incredible industry and sport, to, to do so well, to represent the U S in four winter, winter Olympics. You know, there's so many wonderful things that I've accomplished. Um, and I guess for me, if, if it was about winning things, like to be quite honest, I probably should have stopped a long time ago. I've, I've accomplished more in the sport of snowboarding than anyone could ever dream of, of doing. And, and, and that's simply not what motivates me. I'm not here to, to win things. Uh, I'm here to hit my potential. Um, but I look at the young women that I, that I compete with. Um, and you know, a few years ago when some of my peers started to retire, um, I transitioned and, and I was no longer a peer, but I was in this mentor role, um, that was different and was new. And I realized that, I mean, I, I, I competed in a in a World Cup in New Zealand this summer, and the two young women on the podium with me. If you added up their ages, it equaled mine. <laughs> you know, like there's a big age gap. Yeah. And I have an opportunity to to be a good role model to encourage these women, and and I'm well aware that some of these young girls they will they will do things on a snowboard that I cannot. But I want to set them up to be successful. I want to invest in them. If the reality is, is if your dream only includes you, it's too small of a dream. And for me, my dream has has been expanded in these last few years, where I want to do my best. I want to hit my potential. And yes, I will be at every contest, gunning for that top spot, like I always am. But I want to see other people succeed. I want to see the things that I've learned. See, see the next generation. You know, take the sport where I've brought it to and go further with it. I want them to stand on my shoulders. I don't want to see them stifled by, by my records or accomplishments or it's a, you know, a great thing to say, but you really have to walk it out. It's, it's, it's uh, the ultimate heart test when you see other people succeed. Kelly, you've shared so many just beautiful nuggets of wisdom, and I'm so thankful for your time. I want to really quickly ask you about your foundation. You have this foundation that has awarded more than $125,000 in grants and scholarships for athletes across the country over the last six years. That's a ton of money. Maybe you can just really briefly just tell me, you know, what's been the best part of helping these underprivileged kids achieve their dreams? I mean, my foundation is just kind of an extension of all the things I've just been talking to you about. If if I say I care about the next generation, you know, my actions should kind of display that as well. And so that's what I've done in my foundation. And I just wanted to create opportunity. Um, I wanted to, you know, invest not only my time, but my resources and, and see other people experience snowboarding. You know, sports are such a wonderful thing. They teach, they teach kids, um, you know, life skills that, 
that just help you develop, you know, not only as a snowboarder, but as a, you know, successful snowboarder, but as a successful human as well. And so that's just what I aim to do with the foundation is set people up to be successful. Um, and it's been just a, a privilege to get to invest in so many different kids over the years. That's so cool. And you have a book coming out. When, when does it come out? What's it called? Um, so, yeah, I spent the last few years uh, writing a book and it's called Inspired, The Pursuit of Progress. And um, a lot of the things that I kind of discussed with you today are in there. I, I, I touched on a lot of the concepts that are kind of in my wheelhouse. And um, it's out for pre-sale right now on kellyclarkinspired.com. Uh, and it's going to be coming out uh, December 19th. And it's a book on motivation. Uh, you know, it's it's not a sports autobiography. It's, it's told through the vehicle of snowboarding. But it's kind of things that I've learned over the course of my career that'll help people be successful, um, in their own lives. And, uh, it's, it's been really cool. You know, I, I'm, I'm not this huge personality. Um, you know, I don't live every moment of my life on social media. You can't see what I'm eating for breakfast that day. If you follow me. Um, but this was a really cool way for me to put my life on display. Um, and that's what I really tried to do. I try to make my life the message and I tried to put my life on display and show people, um, how I'm motivated, how I think, what my process is. And I, in the book, I set out to to redefine how to measure success um, and help people learn how to measure it in a, in a healthy way, um, how to navigate fear, how to deal with disappointment, how to be authentic and live consistently, how to impact the world around you instead of have it impact you. And it was just a really enjoyable experience. And um, you know, as it's on pre-sale right now and, and heading to retail, I'm, I'm oddly aware that people are going to be reading it. Um, it's a, a definitely a vulnerable position to be in, but I'm, I'm really excited for people to read it and, and um, you know, ultimately to, to see it impact people in a positive way. That's, that's what I want to do. I want to take the things that I've learned and give it away. And I just want to make sure that the sport of snowboarding, um, you know, and the culture and the industry I'm in is better because I was a part of it. And that's part of this book. Um, but at the same time, you know, if you don't know anything about snowboarding or sports, you're still going to be able to get a lot from this book. Um, and the book isn't, the book isn't faith-based, although I'm, I'm transparent and in, in my faith and, and how I, what my beliefs are. But if you don't think like me, if you don't believe like me, you're still going to get a lot from this book. I tried to just make it approachable That's cool. and it was a really fun project. So it'll be cool to see where it goes. Well, I'm excited because this podcast is actually going to come out about a week before your book comes out. We, we try to get ahead of schedule on this. So I'll put this in the holiday gift guide. I'm, I'm excited to read it and order it. So thank you, Kelly. Okay, we're going we're gonna to go to the quick and dirty round. So this is the, the round where I ask you kind of pretty quick questions. But the first one I want to ask you about is surfing because you're a surfer, which I love. So where do you surf? What board do you ride? Um, let's see. I grew up, uh, living in Block Island, Rhode Island in the summer nice. on the East coast. Mm -hmm. And, uh, gosh, I, I mean, I started snowboarding when I was seven and I had a boogie board and I started standing up on that probably when I was about 10. And so I finally got my first surfboard when I was around 12. Uh, I just fell in love with it. You know, I think once you figure out how the ocean works, once you're standing sideways, it's pretty similar to snowboarding. And so um, I don't get to surf as much as I as I would like to. Um, primarily now it's, it's designated for surf vacations. Uh, my most recent surf trip, I went to Morocco uh, a few nice. weeks ago. Um, and that was an uh, incredible experience. I would highly recommend it. Wonderful country, wonderful people, 
really fun, fun ways. Uh, I, I loved it. Um, and I, I ride a five, six, uh, I have two boards that I love. There's a, the Almeric, uh, Channel Islands new flyer. Um, yeah. I had a flyer, uh, when I was young and I got the new flyer and, oh my gosh, I love, love, love that board. Um, you know, I think that's maybe a five, eight, and then I have a five, six pod as well. Also Channel Islands. Um, and that's got a bit of a, a broader, um, broader nose, a bit easier to paddle. If I haven't been surfing in a while, I take out the pod cause I can get into more waves quicker just because I'm typically out of shape when it comes to surf paddling and I just want to have a fun time. You still ride pretty tiny boards. That's awesome. Um, what's your, what's your favorite snowboard trick right now? Favorite snowboard trick. I mean, it's always backside air. Um, you know, methods are, are my favorite trick. They're timeless and, um, enjoyable any day, all day, everywhere. What's your go-to gear when traveling? Like any, any things you take on the road that help with jet lag or just, you just have to have with you at all times? Let's see. I travel pillow, pretty normal stuff. I don't think I have too many weird things I travel with. Oh, you know what, what is a little bit weird? I travel with a pour over coffee, um, drip and a reusable filter and my own coffee. I, you never know where you're going to end up, what kind of coffee machines they're going to have in the condos or the hotels that you are. So good coffee is a priority for me. And so I travel everywhere with that. I'm going to send you uh, a thing of coffee then. That's awesome. I like to send my guests little gifts. So I heard you make a mean pizza. Oh, yeah. I grew up in a pizza shop. I grew up living upstairs from a pizza place. So pizza is like my go-to, like anywhere. I'm like a, a pizza connoisseur. I can tell you the best pizza in any mountain town, probably around the U.S. All right, but give me three, pizza. three pizza places mm-hmm. around the U.S. Around the U.S. All right, all right. Um, there's a little place in Snowmass Village in the village. I can't remember the name of it. It's in the um, where the post office is and where the, the grocery store is, right in their, their little town village. There's a really good pizza spot there. And then, wow, I was, I was talking such big game, and I'm just drawing blanks right now. <laughs> that's okay, that's okay. Uh, in, in Mammoth, you can go to Campo. That's a really good pizza spot. Uh, and then, well, I, I guess I, I would be... I would be kicked out of the family if I didn't say uh, TC's family restaurant in Mount Snow, Vermont, where I grew up. So those are my three picks. Well, that's great. And what's your go-to kind of pizza to cook? Uh, favorite pizza to cook is prosciutto and arugula. That is my favorite all-time pizza. So I know people who go to the Olympics get asked to sign some like pretty weird things. Have you been ever asked to sign something really weird or... Any awkward like autograph moments that you can share? Yeah, gosh, I had a lot of awkward auto- autograph moments for sure. Um, I would say the weirdest one would be I, I kind of like after I won the Olympics in, in Salt Lake, I remember I was in an airport bathroom and I had a line of people waiting outside my bathroom door for me to finish up so I could come out and sign stuff for them in the in the women's restroom in an airport. That was that was when I realized wow. that. Uh, Life was very different than it used to be. Wow, that's amazing. <laughs> that's so awkward. Pretty weird. Um, so awkward. What books do you love or gift most often? Um, let's see. Good books. Um, you know, one of my favorite athlete uh, autobiographies is Andre Agassi's. Oh, I love that uh, one. Open. Yep. I love that book. It's a really great book. 
Um, and then kind of like a fun read, uh, there's a book called Unbroken. Um, they made that into a movie a few years back. Yep. That is an excellent, excellent book. I love that one too. Any advice to others so they can live more wildly? I mean, people listening are, you know, they, they just want to live more wildly. They want to be happier. They, they want to maybe not quit their job, but just be a little bit more adventurous in their life, have a little bit more fulfillment. You know, I think I'd go back to that preparation thing, man. A little preparation goes a long way. Whether you just want to be a recreational snowboarder on the weekends, like put a little time in in the gym before you go and allow yourself to have a little bit more fun and not get hurt when you're up there. You know, there's just that little bit of prep, uh, whether it's, you know, reading a good book and getting your head around what motivates you or how to deal with with hardships um, or just getting more time in the gym. Like I would just say that that preparation will allow you to um, really excel and live a bit more wildly and, and a bit be a bit more um, confident on the other side. Kelly, thank you so much for sharing your wild ideas and your story with us. I hope you kick ass at the Olympics. I hope you sell a million books. We're going to definitely link to your books in the show notes and tell everyone to buy them. Where can people find more of you? Go to my social accounts. I am the Kelly Clark on Instagram and Twitter. And I think a public figure on Facebook for uh, Kelly Clark. And then you can also check out my foundation, which is kellyclarkfoundation.org. And that also will link you up to my book site. Um, but check out the book. I think if you, if you liked what, uh, what I talked about today, um, something kind of intrigued you and caught your attention, um, I would really encourage you guys to check out the book. I think there's a lot of things in there that will help you um, really hit your potential. Well, Kelly, I can't wait to surf with you. When you come to San Diego, I've got a little five, eight Almeric that you can ride. And uh, I won't uh, even have to carry my boards. You don't have to carry your boards. I've got tons of boards for you. And we live on the beach right now. So thank you so much, Kelly. I totally appreciate it. Yeah, thanks for your time today. I highly recommend getting Kelly's book. There's a beautiful intro by Donna Carpenter, the CEO of Burton. And speaking of Burton, you can also get new snowboard gear, a new snowboard, pants, thermals, jackets right now at Burton.com. They make incredible gear that I wear and love. You should be able to watch Kelly in the Olympics coming up next month. She is one amazing human with awesome style. Thank you for listening to this show. I think we're going to make it to 55 episodes the first year, and it has been one wild ride. I really appreciate your feedback, your comments. I especially love the reviews on iTunes. This podcast has been a labor of love. I've put them out for free every week. So if you can and you like this show, please go to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and write a review. That's what helps this show grow. Thank you again to Burton, to Kelly Clark, to Stephanie, and to her team, and to you, listeners. Seriously, this has been so much fun. Thank you for all of your feedback, your comments, your emails. I really appreciate it. Wherever you are in the world, always remember the best adventures often happen when you follow your wildest ideas. We'll see you for the final episode of the year next week. Next week.